This is an after-school program podcast. Welcome to the Home Studio Hangout Podcast, where we explore what it's like building, running, and working out of a home studio with your hosts, Joshua Matutek, Andrew Simmons, and many guests in different areas of the music industry. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's me, your boy, Josh. And I'm here with my friend. Oh, I didn't know you wanted me to talk. Yeah, that's the part whenever you say your name. Yeah. <laughs> How many, we practiced this like 10 times before we hit record. And we haven't we haven't been doing this for 23 episodes or anything. Whatever. I yeah, know it's cool. <laughs> so today uh, we are going to be speaking about recording DI guitars and bass and reamping using plugins and all that good stuff to kind of follow up with our episode on MIDI. Yeah, which we got some good feedback on um, from a lot of people via our Instagram DMs. Um, so I got to talk to some people about, you know, strategies and like why printing is important and all of that. So if you missed that episode and you're listening to this episode after this one, go back and listen to that one because it was uh, super informative and a lot of people took a lot from it. Um, but today, like Josh said, we are talking about guitars. So this is like the other side of, um, kind of what you are, would be doing as like a home producing, self-producing engineer kind of situation. Um, which especially more so in, uh, as we see a resurgence in having real guitar in pop music, which Josh has been a student of for sure. I will say he's kind of turned me on to a lot of um, like the guy that produces with post. Um, I can't remember his name because what the guy that produces with post Malone. What are you talking about? Lewis Lewis Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah. And I guess and what, uh, but like a lot of these guys are coming in being guitar players that grew up shredding and are writing good pop songs now number ones in fact <laughs> yeah so i i think probably the most popular guy right now is uh omer and mm-hmm. all of his work that he's done with trevor daniel the kid Leroy. um he worked with um see now i'm much, blanking he's worked with like everybody ian bro, Dior, 24 pretty much yeah i was gonna say pretty much anybody from that like TikTok fame, like hip hop area, the kind of like your, your all of your younger pop slash rap artists. Yeah, all the melodic hip hop stuff is is Omer's territory. Mm-hmm. He's really dope though. He uh, grew up playing guitar, and he got really into. Um, I can't remember if he is a first generation immigrant or not, but I know that he's like. Yeah, so his parents moved here whenever he was really young. And so he got into like American rock music and he was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So like his like one of his favorite bands is the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which really kind of goes to show and, you know, the different kinds of chord voicings he uses and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, he uses a a lot of really high, like mid neck. He uses a lot of very mid neck chord voicings, I've noticed. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I think no, I think no, that's really cool. That's a good point to to point on is like, you know, the resurgence of pop guitar and pop music and in general and kind of like rock music shift into being like a weird hybrid of Oh yeah, what, he uh, he worked music. on all the Machine Gun Kelly stuff. That came oh out. yeah, see that yeah that that's huge. Yeah, and that's I think the he's biggest crossover. On more and more stuff that Travis Barker's producing, so mm-hmm. you're gonna see. Oh, that he did a some lot. Nothing Nowhere stuff, didn't he? Huh? Didn't he do some Nothing Nowhere stuff? Probably, because Travis Barker was producing produced uh, one of his EPs. Yeah, because I I remember I was uh, on New Year's Eve. I remember watching MGK perform. I was like, who's that guy with red hair? And I didn't realize that yeah, it's Omer okay. had long hair now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess for firstly, for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, when we when we say DIs or like tracking DIs versus real amps, uh, let's kind of like, I guess let's kind of break down like, I mean, it's pretty simple, but let's break down like, the basis of that. So you're taking a guitar or a bass. Bass. <laughs> um, and instead of plugging it into like a physical amp and micing it up, you're plugging it into um, either a high Z input on your interface or into um a di box that's going into your interface and then you're tracking a clean signal and then you're using plugins amp plugins or just other kinds of plugins to make that guitar sound like a guitar amp or bass amp um and then instead of having to have a bunch of amps it's kind of similar to the drum conversation, which is instead of having to have a bunch of amps and a room in which to track the amps where you can crank up the amp and get really loud and have to worry about cabling and electronics and tubes, you can track with a bunch of different kinds of amps from your computer. Yeah, well then also like there's kind of like three separate things that people do. Like you can record DI and then reamp it using a reamp box, which means that you put the signal back out of one of your outputs. It goes into this little box and then one side goes into the front of the amp and then um, you mic up that amp and then record it back. Mm-hmm. Which into... uh, which I know for um, that's a big and a lot more of the, a lot more of like the post hardcore rock world. That's yeah, because like that's a bigger thing. It's the issue whenever you're recording like distorted guitars is like you can't see the transients, so it's really hard to edit distorted guitars and make them sound good. So a lot of people will record the DI, edit it, and then reamp it. Or like I know on all the August Burns Red records, they would. Well, maybe not all of them because I forget where I saw this video. I think it was the one that they did with Jason, and um what they did is they recorded the DI and the amp at the same time. And then what you do is you just group them together and edit the DI. And then that way you're editing the amp signal also. And then you're done. Yeah. So you could yeah. do that too, or you could just use flat out amp sims like most people are probably doing anymore because mm-hmm. they sound really good. Yeah. Especially recently, like they've gotten so good recently that that it's a lot of, a lot of what you're hearing in 
modern pop rock and pop and even a lot of like heavier stuff is all amp sims yeah and like i think all it really comes down to is making sure that you understand like it's not going to sound completely like a real amp but i feel like a lot of people forget that like real amps always don't sound that good either and real amps after processing and everything don't even sound like real amps anymore no they don't and like a lot of people will well not a lot of people a lot of guitarists get really weird about that sort of like how drummers get weird about samples mm-hmm. and uh you know <laughs> there's been times whenever people barriers. haven't been able to tell that i programmed their guitar part <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. um yeah that's that's wild so yeah, what are we let's talk about like specifically what we need for tracking DI. Um a Focusrite Scarlet interface <laughs> because for some reason the they DI work. input on those sounds so much better than my Apollo. Um, I use um so I just use a a radial DI box instead of the high Z imp- instead of the guitar input on my uh on my UAD interfaces. Yeah. And I found that it is actually, it's cleaner. You yeah. want to know, you want to know an interesting fact. And this is like why I kind of like using a DI more than I like using a high Z input. So this is going to get really nerdy. It's going to get really nerdy. So the way DI boxes work, you have a signal, right? And you have your waveform going up and down and in a DI box because of an XLR signal. I think we've talked about this before. But because a DI box uses an XLR signal to go into the um, interface, you get the negative side of the XLR signal, which uses a negative uh, polarity. So it's doing the same signal, the whole of whatever you're playing, but inverse, right? And then in an XLR, at the end, whenever it transforms back into like going into the interface, there's a piece of it that flips the polarity so that it goes back into phase. And what that does is it will negate the buzz because you have a positive and a negative counterbalancing each other. But if there's a buzz, like a signal buzz or something, the signal buzz will be the same in both the positive and the negative. So when you flip the negative to be the positive, it will negate the buzz. Uh... That makes so much sense. Yeah. Just get thicker cables, bro. Yeah, but like that's why you use TRS. <laughs> just kidding. No, that's, that's why you really sick. I didn't know that. Yeah. And like another thing, if anybody tells you that you need like an expensive DI, like the uh like the Neve DI that's like five hundred bucks or the countryman that's like three hundred or four hundred bucks. Okay. You don't need an expensive DI. There is literally nothing to DIs. I know plenty of studios who build their own DIs. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to them. So, like, don't spend a ton of money on one. Just get a radial. They're great. And I've never had anybody be like, this radial sucks or it broke. Like, it's going to be fine. Or just get a Focusrite Pre. I have a, um, I have mine sitting around somewhere. Yeah. I use yeah, a- Every once in a while, I'll, like, plug in the guitar just to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> those interfaces are so bad that they sound good for certain things you know so the what's really funny is some of the bet and this was by uh chris said this uh to me i believe he was like one of the best guitar tones he ever heard di 
was I believe it was from the current guitarist and their early stuff was tracking a DI that ended up getting reamped for their record. And all he uses is like a Focusrite solo or something like that. It's yeah. Crazy. So <laughs> I've actually thought about recording, um, recording this new mic through that because I'm, I'm, I'm learning this microphone. I'm doing my best to like mm-hmm. learn it inside and out. This has a huge high end boost on it. So like, you're getting all the way up to 20k on me right now, and 20k yeah. is pretty present. Like if you drag a a uh, low pass down, you hear it like as soon as you engage it. And um, so I'm thinking about running it through the Scarlet just to hear how the high end rolls off, because like the mic act might actually sound pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it could. The uh, yeah, I think there's some other like really expensive options like you said like the countryman uh you can always get like more expensive radials but i see i would rather get a good preamp with a high z on it yeah or like Like, i'd rather get like a like a bae 1073 or like a la solo by universal audio like Mm -hmm. i mean the las are uh two preamps too which sound incredible for bass um yeah, like I would just I would just get something simple. Actually, so funny thing in the Matt Rad Discord, they were talking about um how he had done this one Keith Urban record. And so somebody asked him and they were like, Hey, like, how did you get that bass sound? And he's like, I didn't do that, my friend did. Let me message him. So he messaged his friend and he was like, Hey, what did you use on that Keith Urban record? Because like that bass sounded incredible. And he goes, Oh yeah, it's just my bass into my Apollo. <laughs> and then yeah, dude. He, he, he runs it through the LA-2A. Like, not like a real one, but like the Universal Audio one. Mm-hmm. On the way in, and then he just printed it like that, and he sent it. And I guess like whenever he got it, he was like, okay, well, it doesn't need anything else. And it was just a DI. Yeah. Like, no amp involved. Yeah. So, and th- we'll get to this kind of in a second. But I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the plug-in side of it, right? depending on what you're doing um so but you that is another part in the chain right so we go guitar cable into interface or di box into interface you know however you want to get your guitar signal in and then that goes into your daw and then from there uh i always run a tuner plug-in because i like to tune inside the daw so it's consistent and i can use the same tuner on all the channels because they're pretty low CPU, especially the Ableton one. Um, Is the Ableton I do, one good? Yeah, I like it. The Cubase one sucks, and so I uh, I, I use the STL Will Putney plugin. Mm-hmm. A lot a of your tuner on it. I was gonna say a lot of your a lot of your amp plugins will have tuners built into them nowadays, but I don't like opening up. I the Ableton one just sits in the face. You don't have in to the rack. It. Yeah, yeah. It just it's just always on. So that's nice. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, uh, you can kind of play around with some stuff going into the amp, into your amp plugin. But generally, it's into your amp plugin next, or your VST or whatever. Um, I know Josh, like he said, STL tones, Will Putney, he digs that one. Uh, I like Tone I'll be Hub. Honest, I I just use it for the tuner. And yeah. The bass amp sometimes. The bass amp's really good too. 
They um, really good. I don't like any of the heavy apps. I was going to say the STL Tone Hub stuff is really good, um, depending on the pack that you get, but I, I like a lot of their stuff. Neural is just on a different world. The Neural DSP stuff, that was going to be my next one. It's crazy, especially the, like the Corey the Wong and all the base Neural, stuff. like across the board, it's very hi-fi. Mm-hmm. You have to like, do more work to it. I've noticed that. So and it's it, kind of it, that thing where like if you need a big guitar sound, that's where you go to. But like if you don't need a big guitar sound, then like what's the point? You're going to EQ half of it away anyway. Yeah. The... um, I've noticed with Neural stuff, I have to do like just a little bit more work but I will get a better sound in the end, if that makes sense. You want to know what I use? I use the Friedman Sims from Plugin Alliance, and I also use the Bass Dude Sim from Plugin Alliance. And then the Bass Dude Sim is sick because it's not like the cool Bassman. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, I think it's the Silver Face, mm-hmm. where it didn't have, like you can't, they don't let you bridge the input. And so you literally just take the treble knob and turn it all the way up and you take the bass knob and you turn it all the way up and then it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. It's it's a lovely plugin. And then uh, lately what I've been doing with that one is I'll actually run it through just like whatever Marshall plugin that you get on UA so I can monitor in real time. And yeah, the, run dude, the whole amp through sound, another amp. <laughs> those actually sound pretty dang good too. Those Marshall plugins from UA. Yeah, um, well, I think I'm going to make the jump, and I'm just going to buy all of them. Um, yeah, that's what uh, one of my guitarists, Andy, he's been using. Uh, I think he got their um, their 800 because he he uses an actual 800 um, mm-hmm. when he plays when we play live. Uh, but he wanted to use an, an 800 for tracking, and it sounds really good. But you know that those are all soft tube. All the Marshall mm-hmm. stuff on there is soft tube. So yeah, you, if that. you don't have a UA interface or if you don't want to be tied down to DSP, you could go that route. Mm-hmm. My goal was to get more cores because I, I like having that real-time response and tracking and then I don't have to worry about like what my buffer rate is at. Yeah. Especially working on smaller machines. Like I work on a laptop and a Mac Mini. Like I don't have a ton of processing power exactly. and I like being light. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of spending extra money on a computer, I'd rather just spend a little bit extra and get a satellite and be able to do whatever i want so for sure and the other ones so those are like my favorite guitar amps and then as far as favorite bass amp stuff um the back to neural dsp the dark glass i really like the dark glass plugin from neural um it ends up making it on a lot of stuff even the because you get the you get the the b7k but you also get the v7k so you get the the more high gain one and the the more vintagey sounding one so it's a good for a hundred for a hundred dollars. Like that's a pretty great deal. Um, I am also a big fan of the Pro Tools Sansamp plugin, which is like infamous for sounding so good for no reason. I, I'm switching back to Pro Tools. Dude, that, it, plugin. It, that stock Sansamp plugin. I don't even understand. So my favorites are. The Ampeg SVT VR and then the SVT th- uh, 3 Pro, which are both made by Brainworks. And you could ha- get them through the Plugin Alliance um, sub, or you could get it on UA. Um, their Friedman Sims are top notch. They beat any Marshall plugin, in my opinion, even the soft tube ones, but you know. That's where we're at. Um, so 
pros and cons, Josh. Pros and cons for using. We kind of talked about like what it is as a whole. Why would you want to use it? What's the positives for using it? And then like, what are kind of some of the drawbacks? Um, I like using it because it's simple. You could record guitar anywhere. Um, you have the flexibility of changing things after the fact. The cons, the only thing it really comes down to is like, you'll start tone searching. And a lot of people will do that where they'll just keep trying for new guitar tones. And it's like, what I like to do is once I track a DI, I'll actually just print out my three favorite presets and then mute two of them and go from there. Um, and like, now that I've been kind of printing things on the way in, like, I just want to do that more. I'm doing it with my vocal chain too. Now that I'm not stuck with the slate software and, uh, I just want to be able to capture things at its source. So once it's in the dot, it's done. The problem with that is, is that you have to be good at playing guitar. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, like you said, I like, I like, uh, the flexibility of it, but also some engineers, some mixing engineers really like having DIs just in case they want to stack your tone with another tone or they find when they get into the mix that the tone you chose wasn't quite what was needed. Um, so I think that is a mix engineer that really helps. Uh, I think I think we need to put an end to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, think like, like, at the end of the day, if you're if you're, if you don't consider yourself a producer, you shouldn't be sending things out to mix. I, I could agree with that. I just for it for me as a mix engineer, it is nice sometimes to have it because the people who are sending you things might not be. Exactly. Yeah, so that that is just a positive and like the same for the drum MIDI. Like, it's nice to just have the drum MIDI sometimes. Um, cause they may have done the, the balance is a little funky inside the plugin or they might've chosen the wrong, or they might've not had, that's the other thing. They might've not had a great plugin or, you know, they may have not had that, uh, they may have not had that option for a great plugin on the way in when they printed it. So they just printed something, whatever they had. And if you have something better, like, you know, that's kind of nice also shout out to shout out to my friend jack his name is jack daniels uh he plays for uh yeah no joke his name is jack daniels he plays guitar for war of ages um he does some really sick guitar reamps if you're looking for uh he's done some reamps for me and for chris uh he he did i think he did the first heirloom single reamps uh those guitars sound tight and he did some other stuff for me and chris but it he's just got a plethora of amps and he's a guitar guy you know what i mean he's like specializes in that kind of thing um yeah he's he's really good so you should hit him up if you want like actual amps he's the man he's really good at what he does otherwise just use a plug-in <laughs> Uh, but okay. So pros and cons. What about, what are some situations that you found? I get, you kind of talked about it, but some situations where you're like, I don't really need an amp. Oh, um, bass thing is pretty common. Actually, honestly, a good bass DI with an EQ on it and a compressor. Sometimes that's all you need. One of my favorite things is like, you know, like, just 
clipped out guitars are pretty big in alt music right now and they the distortion always sounds like it's coming after the amp um so instead of just putting a distortion on a guitar di i actually like to record an acoustic guitar and then do that that's cool so that's been a little creative thing that i've been liking like the one song i literally put a ds1 plug in heck yeah and it worked it it was there was so much gain and like because of the room noise it was like overbearing but if you edit it right so there isn't a ton of like dead space in between everything and you're careful about how it's placed it sounds really really cool um uh decapitator is classic for that sort of thing too uh radiator is incredible i did so i've been doing that a lot and then sometimes for clean guitars i'll just like take the di so that's it some me and shaman were tracking for some veggie tail stuff and i needed like a a really spanky like funk sounding guitar so i grabbed a strat did a di with a compressor strat in the middle position with the just di with um a 76 into like a slapback delay and into like um the the Valhalla vintage and it worked it's perfect mm-hmm. like, yeah I'll, like the, the, that's becoming really popular in pop music because a lot of people are like well i don't have an amp what do i do like for us metal guys it's like oh crap an amp sim i have 50 of them you yeah. know because like that's just where we came from pretty, and a lot of like i see awful. things yeah like i see everything i see posts every day uh like in pop groups where they're like what should i do for guitars like what like amp sims you know um i actually have a helix preset that i use so i basically designed all my tones to be really hi-fi so i could just cut them back and so i have a marshall 1960 cab with t75s in them and it's mic'd with a ribbon mic and like that's the only ir that i use because I know it really well and I can make it sound like whatever I want. And then uh, in Helix, I only use that IR. It's now, once I redid my computer, that's now the only IR that I have on there. I have like a bunch of folders of IRs. I have like 3,000. Just in case. Um, Base IRs, I've realized, make a huge impact. Yeah, see, I don't have a ton of bass IRs, but the Ampeg ones are fine for me. And typically, I don't even use a cab IR for bass because I just saturate it and do all that fun stuff. So, but um, using the guitar rig, uh, plug the guitar rig plugin, which like I think people sleep on a little bit. The newest version of it is really, really good. It's got some cool effects and. It's got one of the most true sounding AC thirties I've ever heard. Ew. <laughs> I hate AC thirties. I like AC thirties for like really clean, like shimmery, and you compress the crap out of it and you scoop it a lot. It sounds really good. Sounds really good. AC thirties sound terrible. Sound really good. I'd and, rather put an ice pick in my ear. And other than that, uh, I've been using the Helix. There's a what is it? There's a matchless in the Helix and there's a matchless in Guitar Rig that are both really, really, really great. That's like kind of that warm on the warmer side. All right. So I, I'm about to give everybody 
the sauce. All right, this is the sauce. You take the high watt Helix amp, you max out the volume, all the volumes that you could find in it. Just max them all out, okay? Then you're going to take a clean boost. There, There's a, blah, 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 I forget the boost, what it's called. You take that, you max it out, turn on the bright switch. Then you take a tube screamer, put it before all that, boost it. All right. We're talking like 25, 30, maybe even 35 decibels of clean gain going into the amp. Redlining from the start. (laughs) And that plugin will sound incredible. All of the Helix stuff is so underpowered that you need to run an absurd amount of gain before the amp. You could take a gain plugin and just turn it up as you go and you'll hear whenever the amp starts to sound like a real amp. (laughs) Because it does really sound like a real amp um at that higher gain point you have to um for the for like all the metal tones i do i'll use the friedman plugin well the helix friedman sim and then you turn on the saturation the hbd switch and then the uh there's like a c45 switch i think it's called you flip all the switches okay then you once again run a ton of gain into it and then you take I think I can't remember. I'd have to pull it up. It's either the master or the channel volume. You max out one of them and keep the other one really low and it will sound beautiful. Um, Cause once again, that like Helix focused a lot on their power amp mm-hmm. saturation and they did, they overdid it. So you have to keep the, I think it's the master volume that you have to keep really, really low. Mm-hmm. And then you clip the input and keep the gain yeah. switch low. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. I need to try that out on some stuff. It's awesome. Um, the only thing I don't do it to is the JC120. Um, but even then, I don't really use the JC120 that much anymore because it almost sounds like a DI. And then I like the at that point, plugin. I was going to say at lot. that point, you might as well just like go straight DI, EQ it really cool and compress it really cool. The the plugin alliance blue chorus is like one of the best software choruses. The ADA flanger oh, is the Tau unreal. chorus. The Tau chorus has been my it's the it's the Juno chorus. Yeah. Um and it's got the two options on it and for guitar it sounds really cool. Um and that's the that's one thing that you can kind of do. This is I guess this is another pro uh that you can do with this is you can do some really funky stuff with automation and also with plugins that you would never be able to do going into amps that like doing that in and with a real amp is outside of reamping like you're not going to have all of these plugins in pedal form mm-hmm. you know um so you, this it just gives you some cooler like sauce options to try um so yeah i think i think the the coolest thing that i this i think this has come to reamping but one of the things that i've noticed that works really well for me is actually um high passing my my di signal uh and then putting like a bump in like the 125 range on the di going into the amp because what what I've noticed, and I talked with Jay Moss about this a lot, is that 
amps are di like plug-in amps are really deficient in their low like in their low mids they don't have a lot of low mids like a real amp does um so one of the first places that i've started reaching is that like mid 100s range and like boosting around there to try to find you also have to understand that like guitars like um guitar amps react almost like an internal side chain so like there's a switch on reverend guitars that really kind of puts some um i forget what it does it does it either adds a bunch of high end or it oh i forget how it works i'll have to google it but basically like they're rolling off the tone it's like a tone switch. It's like those uh it's like those like those jazz masters with the with the tone switches. Like yeah, so it's them. called bass contour. And okay. so basically what it does is it gets this really beefy sound, but what they're actually doing is um Dude, I was going to I was going to drop some killer knowledge and then I forgot <laughs> how the whole thing worked. I'm currently on TDPRI for you guitar nerds. Um Yeah, whatever. Just just cut out all of this. What was just, the what was the point of the what were you trying to say? Like I was I was going to refer to how like guitar amps don't react how you think they would. Like if you boost 4K yeah. on a guitar amp, it's not going to sound like you boosted 4K. Well, and plugins don't react the same way that amps do. And I think if you just know that going into it, and I, I've also noticed, don't treat a non-amp. So by saying non-amp, I mean like a Kemper or a Helix or any kind of plug-in. Uh, treating it like an amp, is it's going to sound bad, right? You have to kind of learn. It's like a, It's like a process of learning how those things work in itself removed from a real amp yeah like you would you're gonna do some weird boosts in the bass and maybe in the mids or in the highs the or in like in the preamps or in the post like you're that you're probably won't ever do on a real amp but if you wanted to get it to sound good you kind of have to do those weird things yeah like with with the I, I just looked up what it does. So the base contour, it basically acts as a high pass filter. And so instead of like thinning out the guitar tone, it actually starts to sound more um, focused. Okay. Because cool. if you think about it, the amp is still going to add a bunch of low end to it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what like people do with tube screamers where they push the tone mm-hmm. to try to get that that more mid-range sound that more mid-range you push yeah yeah so it's it's called a bass contour and it rolls off low end but essentially what it is is it's a high boost oh because anytime you take away energy you're adding the rest of it in a whenever you're going into an amp Mm -hmm. if that makes sense no that does make sense that that's just really cool yeah so like 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 low passing Guitar DIs is a great way to focus where your amp distorts um, 
And whenever yeah, you said so that's, that, it that, reminded me. That's, of all yeah, that. that's what I was gonna but say. Yeah, like if you if you just like do like a high boost on a di, it doesn't sound the same as if you like rolled off low end. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I never even thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, it works like a like the side chain on a compressor. Like if you boost like your, you know, wherever your sibilance is mm-hmm. on. Uh, on an internal side chain on a compressor, it almost acts as a deesser because that's the part that triggers the compressor. Yeah. So in a way, it brings that S sound down. Yeah. It's the same thing with a guitar amp. If you boost yeah. 4K, it's going to sound, it's not going to sound as pokey as if you were to just roll off low end. Hmm. That's really cool. And that's oh. like, that's how like, uh, like, you know, a lot of like fuzz pedals and stuff, the reason why they get that grindy, gross tone is because not only are they clipping the signal, obviously, as fuzz pedals do, but they're also adding a ton of low end. So whenever your amp starts breaking up at the low end, it's going to resonate across the frequency spectrum differently as if it was to do the opposite, where yeah, if your high end was clipping, it's going to sound end. a lot different. Yeah. So like that's why like fuzz pedals get that super cool sound is because they're clipping the low end and pushing that out. And then it resonates up the frequency spectrum. Yeah. Basically the reverse of what you would think of as like a tube screamer, whereas like a tube screamer is more, I guess you can kind of focus it wherever you want to, but then it kind of resonates up and down the frequency spectrum, but it's more mid-focused or more... But if you think about focused. it, the reason why it's mid-focused is because it's literally just doing a high boost. So mm-hmm. because the amp is clipping up there, the low end doesn't have as much energy. Yeah. Like, it's a push-pull thing with mm-hmm. guitar amps. Um, and that's why you use compression to kind of bring in back some of the lows in, and yeah. Yeah, no, that makes, yeah that's, that makes why, it, that's why, like, people are so crazy about bass DIs and, like, what compressor yeah. they use when they're recording, like, a bass DI. And at first, I was like, that's silly. Just, like, plug it into your interface. And, you know, as said earlier, sometimes that's all you need. But um, that's also it, depending it, on the bass. It depends greatly on the bass. But the, it really does make sense because bass is a lot more fragile, mm-hmm. you know? In general. No, that's that's true. Um, so I think the last thing we need to talk about is reamping like, out to stuff. Um, so uh, my friend Chris Bowman is just finished tracking with his band um, with uh, our buddy, Matt Goldman. Um, and they were up in Jellicoe, Tennessee tracking for their new record. And they do a lot of reamping. So this is like my example for that. They have, they want to use a bunch of pedals. They're like a very big, like from Indian lakes, kind of ambient post-rock kind of idea, uh, kind of circus or vibey in a, you know, in a sense they want to be able to trigger pedals and like guitar pedals and manipulate the knobs on guitar pedals while having a consistent take. This is where reamping can come in and be super handy. Uh, Reamping out to an amp, getting a really good tone. You have a really good take. It's already edited from your DI and then you send it back out through your pedal board into the amp and then you track the movements that you're doing in on the pedals you can get extremely creative with like all of the moves that you're doing it's kind of automating in a DAW, but in real life <laughs> you know what right I mean? yeah you're just 
yeah it's like riding the faders yeah um, it's pedal dancing but, so another thing um that you can do for anything at all really is comping and splitting up different takes and so while you could do cool stuff like that why reamping if you're printing on the way in and if you loop a section and put different effects on each time then you could pick and choose. That's how they did uh, the Love Me solo by the 1975. They went through a bunch of different effects, all these old vintage things that Mike had, and they just looped the solo. And then once it was like they did like 10 to 20 passes, and then they just picked out different parts. And that's why he can't replicate those sounds live. <laughs> no, because it's like a bunch of different pedal configurations, like depending mm-hmm. on what section it is. That's really cool. That's yeah, and because unique. they're all modulation based, the time changes throughout, you know, like it's really, mm-hmm. really cool. So there's a lot of things that you could do. Like, I feel like a lot of people just don't really think outside the box that much of like, yeah, like whenever you have something here, in the computer, then you can mess with it, whether it's the printed part, whether it's the DI, whether, um, you know, I put samples in, in yeah. guitar DIs and then run them through amp sims because they sound terrible. <laughs> you know, like there's so many different things that you could do. That's something whenever I was doing like heavy music, any, instead of doing like squealy, noisy guitar parts, I would just find like samples and I would just put yeah. them in there. I would put like, like a uh, sound of like a crowd panicking, and then I would pitch it up two octaves and that would be my screechy pitch shift noise instead of actually doing anything. And everyone's always like, how do you get that sound? It sounds so unique. It's like, dude, it's a splice sample. I don't know. Like just drag it in. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like you could get really creative with these sorts of things. And I think that, uh, that's just kind of like advice in general, not even just with guitars. I I would say the other piece of advice here, because as we're ending is, print early same as the midi same as the midi episode last time like the cool thing about di's is that you can you always have them um you know hide make an active but freaking print your tone early so that that way you can once again it's the same as the midi stuff your plugins like your compressors and your eqs are going to react differently once that tone has been printed to audio like print everything down obviously in production and when you're writing like you know do whatever keep the plugins on freeze them or whatever uh while you're writing but once you've committed the song and you have really great takes keep the di's but print the tone be done with it go don't get like if you if you're a guitar player you can always get a load box too Mm -hmm. and like that's that's going to be my next rig is I'm going to have a Fender Bandmaster and that's going to be running into a UA load box and then I'm going to have a pedal board and like yeah. I'll just be able to print things on the way in. It's going to be yeah. so great. Yeah, you can print things on the way in and that's... And those are real amps. Yeah, Just not real are. cabs, but that's okay because it sounds better than any of the other cabs I'd be able to do. And you don't, so. have, to worry, and you don't have to worry about a bunch of different kinds of mics and neighbors. placement in the room and neighbors. Yeah. So, and yeah, a load box is another, like, if you're, if you're in the world of like, well, I have a bunch of cool amps, but they're really loud. Yeah. Just get a load box. There's a bunch of people make great ones. I think yeah. you said UA makes one. Sir the makes UA one. one, I think they, I, I don't know if it's snake oil or not. I'd have to like sit down and compare them, but pretty sure the UA one 
is like really popular right now because it's decently affordable and it sounds really good. And then mm-hmm. the two notes torpedo is huge too. And the Sir one, I know a lot of people use and have had good luck yeah. with it. So yeah, you can, you can, a reload box, I guess this is pretty pertinent for this conversation, but a reload box is where you would take your, your head of your guitar amp and you would run it into that. And that reload box would act as the cab. And then you would track using that. You would track, you know, like a regular amp. Yeah. And for anybody wondering, if you didn't know, do not turn your guitar amp on if there's no cab plugged in. That's the point of a load box is to take that and not blow up your amp. Yeah. Um, which I feel like most people know that. But just in case, I remember yeah. a while back in Chango, someone was like, wait, so like reamp or uh, <laughs> load boxes work like this. Can't I just like take the effects loop out <laughs> and put it into my interface? I was like, no, don't do that. Please don't <laughs> do that. Break it. You're gonna blow your blow your stuff up. Please don't do that. Your fifty one fifty is gonna yeah. explode. It's, it's gonna explode. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, great conversation today, man. I think this is like a good part to kind of to uh, to the last week's conversation. I don't even know. It's not even a part two. It's just like a continuation of stuff that people don't like to talk about, but everybody uses. Right. <laughs> I think that's the best way to best way to talk about it, because like the like we said in the beginning, the movement of pop music, reintroducing more guitars, people like Post Malone doing essentially an entire album of indie rock and bands like Cage the Elephant and Coldplay and all of these other bands in the 1975 being very guitar focused. I love Cage the Elephant. Yeah. Like being very guitar focused bands that are extremely popular. I, I mean, and even down to like, you know, like Oliver Tree. That's a guitar focused dude. Yeah. In in the music, like the music is guitar focused, really. Even though it's pop music, it's alt pop. Uh, and then a lot of hyper pop and that kind of stuff is very weird sounds, but a lot of them are derived from guitars. Yeah. Um, or like guitar like effects. So like using a synth, running it through an amp like you would a guitar, but instead of using a guitar using a synth. There's applicable like things across the board. I think people learning about this stuff and not being afraid to just like try things and be okay with like, oh, I don't have to buy thousands of dollars worth of amps. I can spend a couple hundred dollars on some plugins and get to making really good music and not having to worry about upkeep and money and learning and oh what if my tubes blow or that kind of stuff oh also like when you're recording amps man like they're so like guitar amps are so delicate to they're everything. finicky man like my favorite way to judge how a preamp sounds is by listening to like distorted guitars through it because it exposes everything mm-hmm. the low end the mid the high end like you hear every everything. frequency versus every like frequency. Cer- certain voices like you could switch between two different preamps and be like no they sound the same but like with guitars it's it's a lot different so like having that flexibility to like go back and like redo things and like taking your time like i don't know there's just a lot that goes into them and at the end of the day none of it is probably that important but but I think it's also that important. <laughs> yeah. It's important. It's important to us who have to listen to it for a bunch of times. And we want it to be the best it can be. Um, yeah. But also we want it to be while we want it to be the best it can be. We want it to be 
quick enough to get our ideas out into the world. Yeah. You know? And I think that's where we're going to end on that note right there. I think that's a good spot to end. Uh, thanks so much for listening again. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming and hanging out. Always. Um, guys, hit us up if you got any questions again. If you need any recommendations for stuff. Um, we're working on some fun stuff uh behind the scenes trying to trying to work on some cool episode ideas uh for everybody for the future and some other potential little goodies so if you're not following us on instagram at home studio hangout that's the easiest place to do it all of our links are in our bio on our instagram and we will see you next week bye and that's it for this episode of the home studio hangout podcast Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us today. If you'd like to find any of the links to all of the stuff that we talked about today, you can find it on YouTube. Just search Home Studio Hangout or find it on the After School Podcast YouTube channel. All the links for everything we talked about will be in the description of this episode. Thanks again for checking us out. If you aren't subscribed, please go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite uh, podcast channel. Leave a review if you gain some knowledge or learn something from what we talked about today. It helps other people find us and maybe even grow a little bit more. Once again, thanks for coming and hanging out and keep on creating. <laughs>